question your assumptions about your data to be sure you're getting the right message. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my daily podcast, where I pick at least one insight from the world of publishing and try to explain it in about three minutes. I recently did a show on how analytics can deceive you if you don't have the proper context. I ran that idea past my friend Michelle Druick from Lesseter Media, who's a data gal. She's very good at digging into data and finding the useful nugget. And she's agreed to join me today and discuss the topic. So welcome, Michelle. Hi, thank you for having me, Greg. Yeah, it's great to have you. So you looked at what I had to say about data without customer feedback, and you had three very interesting observations. The first had to do with average session duration. Can you unpack that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So um, when I kind of came more into the data role um, within my position here, I was looking at kind of some of the legacy stats that our upper management team was looking at. And one of them that um, I kind of questioned a little bit more was how they were looking at the average time on page. Uh, for those who are more, more working in the GA4 world now, this would be a universal analytics metric uh -huh. where it would just tell you the average time on page um, as an average for your site, but you could see the page by page breakdown. And I kind of questioned why we were looking at that because average time on page could vary drastically versus a video, a few paragraphs, an entire feature, and it really isn't telling you much. So we kind of switched that up and I said, let's look at the average session duration, trying to keep people on the site for a longer period of time, be it through multiple articles or through that one extensive article. And so that kind of helped decide, um, decide some decisions for us in content and then whether long form or short form was working better for us. But then now that we're in the GA4 era, we at least have this new average engagement time metric, which is obviously a lot more helpful in getting to a more narrative-based number. But sure. again, you still kind of need to have some of that context. You know, like I said, context is everything when it comes to data. If you're going off straight numbers, you're not really going to learn much about how your content is performing. Right, right. Very good. So you actually were able to use that to adjust how you were doing content on the site. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. okay. What's interesting too is over time, you'll kind of see shorter form worked great at one point, but then all of a sudden people wanted longer form content. Of course, SEO largely plays into that too. So now you want to have your short video, but also the long form content to help with Google. So it really helps evolve your strategy along, you know, a bunch of different parameters, essentially. Interesting. Now you also have an interesting way of qualifying stats on page views. What is it you do there? Sure. So page views month to month and year over year is one thing that I'm always regularly qualifying and looking at. So we could have an article that performs really well one year and that could make the metrics skyrocket and make it look like this year we're just knocking it out of the park. So that's where I take the data and say, hold back, let's pull this out. Let's look at what our average page views are with that anomaly taken out and then see how that anomaly is impacting that overall average. Mm -hmm. Then we can do things like say seasonality, for example, there might be certain topics in some of our industries that play well. Okay, well, this might've been a seasonally really strong article. Let's maybe look at plugging that into next year's strategy and finding a couple more topics like that this year to keep it going while you know the energy's hot behind it. And that can also help you in terms, again, of context and how knowing how the numbers are fluctuating, but also why they're fluctuating and then making your decisions based off of that. Fantastic. You know, it reminds me when I was in a statistics class in college, I remember there were some times where you would knock off the top and the bottom of a data set to, you know, you'd sort it by some characteristic and then you take get rid of the top two percent and the bottom two percent to try to get more of what's typical of the entire set of data and that sounds like the kind of thing that you're doing there yep absolutely anomalies are great to have because you know those can help 
drive content decisions, but you really got to look at them as that outlier from what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Sure, sure. Now, I also mentioned the need to get actual customer feedback because you might be making some assumptions about how people are doing things that just might be wrong. Now, you guys get a lot of customer feedback. So what are your chief sources of customer feedback and how has that helped you with your job? Yeah, so I mean, we use multi-channel um, sources. We have emails, survey, polls, um, social media, things like that. And one thing I've been doing, especially with one of our publications that we have is I've been using Facebook and the comment sections on the articles that we're posting to really help me drive some content decisions that I'm making. We have a lot of different audience members that kind of have different stakeholding within um, that particular industry. And so it's interesting watching them go to toe to toe on certain blogs or articles that we're posting. Mm-hmm. So I'll start digging in, trying to find other content related to that to then plug into the cycle and the next day's daily email update, which is the name of our email newsletter, um, as well as social media again, to keep driving the engagement on that content. And the interesting thing about some of these articles that I'm pulling too is they have very little page view traffic, or maybe we never even distributed them because they're a legacy article that was only in print first. And so bringing them into the digital space, now they're getting traffic and eyeballs that never saw them and was very great content. So, you know, then for us, it's like, okay, well, maybe we should run this in print again. And so it kind of has this evolving cycle of, you know, okay, let's bring out the print piece into here all because of what customers were saying on Facebook. Right. Interesting. As, as I recall, a lot of your editors actually have personal contact with a lot of the readers and call them. So you probably get some feedback that way as well. Yes, absolutely. I mean, LinkedIn is a big one for us where our mm-hmm. editors will post some of their content on LinkedIn and then we'll get some industry feedback on it from there. Uh, we'll also post some of our polls and surveys personally, or they'll send out personal emails mm-hmm. to get some direct feedback. We find that we get a lot more narrative that way when they feel like they're talking to an actual person. So even some of our marketing and audience development efforts have that from line, you know, being an editor or the brand manager, whoever it is that the person knows directly to help really personalize the experience and bring that one-to-one conversation to each other. Yeah, it's great. I've known you guys for a little bit now, and it seems like you're doing a lot of the best practices in a lot of different areas, and it's fantastic. So there you have it, folks. There's some practical tips on how to make sure you're getting the right message from your data. Michelle, thanks so much for lending a hand today. Thank you for having me on, Greg. And if people wanted to get in touch with you, is it okay if I drop your email in in the transcript there? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much. 